0: Thanks for joining us this week, and welcome to Mutuality Matters, a weekly podcast hosted by CBE International, where our mission is to promote the biblical message that God calls women and men of all cultures, races, and classes to share authority equally in service and leadership in the home, church, and work. Enjoying the podcast? Let us know. Send a recording or written testimonial to podcast at cbeinternational.org of why Mutuality Matters matters to you, and we may feature you on an upcoming episode. The opinions expressed in CBE's Mutuality Matters podcast are those of its hosts and guests and do not purport to reflect the opinions or views of CBE International or its members or chapters worldwide. The designations employed in this podcast and the presentation of content therein do not imply the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of CBE concerning the legal status of any country, area, or territory, or of its authorities, or concerning the delimitation of its frontiers. Let's get into this week's episode.
1: Welcome. My name is Aaron Moniz, and I'm here with my co-host, Blake Dean, and you are listening to New Voices of Mutuality Matters, hosted by CBE International. We are so excited to be here today with author and professor, Dr. Nije Gupta, who has PhD and teaches wonderful things we will tell you all about. Uh, New Testament specifically um, is, is a professor of New Testament at Northern Seminary. Um, previously, he was a professor of New Testament at Portland Seminary, where he also oversaw the master's thesis program and advises doctoral students. He's the author of the book Worship That Makes Sense to Paul and also Prepare, Succeed, Advance, a guidebook for getting a PhD in biblical studies and beyond, and also biblical commentaries and over a dozen academic articles in theological journals and he is also the author of Tell Her Story which is the book that we are going to be talking about today but listeners as you know before we jump into any of the heavy stuff we're going to start with a little watch read or listen so Blake Dean tell us what are you watching reading or listening to these days
2: so i just finished a novel that Aaron and i are currently arguing about But I just finished Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens, and I thought it was wonderful. I texted my brother and said, did you know Charles Dickens is an amazing author? And I stand by that statement. Erin, what about you? We're
1: not arguing about this because Dickens is a fantastic writer, but he did get paid by the word. And I'm just saying, I've got a pretty good idea of Miss Haversham's room. I don't need 40 pages on it. That's that's my only thing. Great expectations. Wonderful. Um, For me. Okay. For me, um, I'm going to do a listen because uh, after the start of the new year, I always like to re-up with some different music. Um, And sometimes it's just older music that you forget about and then you want to bring back into light. So I've been on a kick with just like Kenny Loggins and Willie Nelson, which... I never really grew up listening to, but I found like these old rendition of hymns, mm. um, and just some different things that that I don't know. It's just it's just been getting me through uh, the winter uh, so far. So that's something definitely new that I'm that I'm listening to at the moment. Um, so Nijay, why don't you jump in? What are you watching or reading or listening to?
3: Yeah, thank you. Um, it's great to be with you. Um, I you know it's funny people want to know what I'm reading, and aside from you know workbooks. I don't read a lot just because I get tired of reading, so <laughs> I'll do a watch. Um, so I have family, I have three kids, and we watched through um, the show Wednesday, oh, which yeah. is about the Adams family, yes. and there's very few shows that all five of us enjoyed. So I got 16-year-old, 13-year-old, 11-year-old, my wife, myself, and we all liked it for different reasons, um, but we all really enjoyed that one, so that was super fun and right now um a couple of us are watching the last of us which Mm. is like a zombie Mm -hmm. thing and i hate scary things (laughs) but it stars pedro pascal who i absolutely love Mm. from mandalorian and and other things so i um i'm watching it in spite of how scary it is. (laughs) i love
1: it that's great yeah the wednesday show that that's a good one we actually really enjoyed that as well
2: um well, wonderful! I love it. Well, let's dive into tell her story, which is your forthcoming book um, from IVP. Um, the subtitle is "How Women Led, Taught, and Ministered in the Early Church." In the um, introduction, you say that at least one of your goals is to quote create a more complete picture of the first century beginnings of the people of Jesus," end quote, by getting to know the women of the early church better. At the risk of asking what may be an obvious question, why should our listeners be concerned about having a complete picture of these early days as they read the New Testament?
3: Yeah, that's that's a great question, Blake. So one of my inspirations for this book was the movie, but I'm sure there was also a book, but the movie Hidden Figures, oh, which yeah. I talk about in the book. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, for those listeners that haven't um, watched the movie or read the book. You know, it's about um, the fact that from history books, we know about the men who accomplished great things in American space flight, And this movie and book, Hidden Figures, is about the women who were scientists, they're called computers um, back then, who were mathematicians, brilliant uh, women, African um, American women that made this possible through their innovation, their genius, their tenacity, opposing racism and other things and sexism. And, you know, when you watch a movie like that, you realize, gosh, what else don't I know? (laughs) You start to think, okay, there's one way to tell the story of history and a certain voice that tells that story. Now, I'm not the kind of person that wants to erase and revise everything. Mm. Um, I'm a biblical scholar and I care very much about trusting what's in the Bible. My goal is actually to look at what's in the Bible And uh, part of me writing this book was kind of a confession of my sins of the way I used to look at the Bible, which is focusing on men. Mm. I took for granted as a younger person, Jesus is a man, the disciples and apostles were men, the patriarchs were men, and therefore that's where all the action is. Um, And what I realized through writing biblical commentaries and other things, almost kind of backdoor is how many women are talked about across the Bible and they're there where important decisions are happening. They're there in the room where it happens. And so whether that's Yodi and Syntyche and Philippians, we know more about the women in the Philippian church than the men. Uh, Or whether that's um, uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, who seems to be the most formative figure in the life of young young, uh, Jesus as he's growing up. Um, who's there till the till the bitter end? Um, you know, to people like Deborah, who were you know powerful leaders of Israel. I didn't think about those stories when I was younger. No one taught me those stories really. Mm. And once you start reading the Bible, you realize you know we have this almost snow globe image of the biblical story mm. that says women are at home, men are out doing important things. When you actually read the Bible, there doesn't seem to be places that men are. That women aren't in terms of leadership. And that I, I'm i hoping that will shake up these kind of pithy one liners that say women can't be pastors, women can't be ordained, women can't be preachers. My argument is kind of one of my taglines for the book is we sit around saying, what can women do? But in the New Testament, we read that women were everywhere and doing everything.
2: Mm hmm.
1: Yeah, I I am so thankful for uh, just this, those opening words um, because I know when I when I started uh, your book, I I read a lot of uh, a lot of that. You're talking about just your own journey and your own sort of confession to to say, hey, let's let's all come and and, and see this. Um, and I really appreciate that. Something I also found particularly valuable and interesting um, with with the way you wrote your book is that you weren't just listing women who were active in the New Testament. This isn't just a who's who. Or this isn't just, look, women were there. You specify the um, the variables of authority and power, um, particularly with the stories you tell and the things you highlight. And And I think that our listeners will be interested in that because I was wondering if you could share a little bit um, about, like, well, we want everyone to go by the book, so don't share too much. So, but <laughs> but any, anything from the book that, um, that, that really highlights this and, and just some of the implications of women exercising authority in the church, at the church's inception?
3: Yeah, a couple things, you know, just easily come to mind. One is the term bishop or overseer uh, in Greek, episkopos. You know, the funny thing is, there's so much conversation today about the word pastor. And the word pastor doesn't really feature in the New Testament. In fact, there was a study done, and I talk about this in my book, of Christian leadership terms that were actively used in the first four centuries and pastor doesn't even make the list mm. of terms. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't have pastors. I think it's great. A pastor is a caretaker, a shepherd. Um, that's wonderful. But if we're being realistic about what the Bible actually says, it's better to focus on the terms used there. And probably one of the most important terms is episkopos, which means manager, overseer. I think bishop probably is anachronistic. Mm. But, um, you know, who were these people? What did they do? And I think the going assumption I had when I was in college was this was a thing for men. Like this mm. is, you know, yeah. men did this and women didn't. Nothing in the Bible actually says that. We kind of take that for granted based on some of the things said in uh, First Timothy. But one of the kind of aha moments for me as I was researching this book is the fact that churches predominantly met in houses. Yeah. Mm. And they would look to... Uh, the leader of the house in Latin, pater familias, uh, sometimes in English we use the word householder. They look to that person not just as a host, like I'm going to put out some cookies and milk, but as someone that's a bona fide leader. Because in some of these houses, you would expect to house 30, 20, 30, 40 people for a congregation. She is probably a wealthier person. Yeah. I mean, we we get that sense from Paul's letters. And the leader of that household is, in a genuine sense, a leader, right? A familias of a house that can fit that many people is a leader in their own right. They're probably somewhat educated. They have wealth. Uh, you know, they kind of have to organize the people that work at their house. So a lot of these houses were almost like small businesses mm. in the ways they, they operated. We know this from Roman historians. And so it would be natural, and some scholars just presume – Uh, by default, that a householder is going to become an episkopos because episkopos Mm. means manager, overseer, and this person naturally does that. If we look at the pastoral epistles, that's one of the qualifications of an overseer is that they're good at managing the household. Mm. Okay, the default is a man, right? A pater means father of the household. Were there exceptions? There absolutely, positively were. So, for example, an obvious one would be Lydia. Mm. Paul seeks out People uh, in Philippi, he comes across these women. He doesn't move on and say, I'm going to keep looking for men. He preaches to these women. Lydia converts and her household. And this is something I didn't really pick up on until I was working on this book. Um, Converts Lydia's household. Then the apostles get in trouble. They go to jail. After they get out of jail, where do they go? They go to the house of Lydia. Why? Because that's where believers are congregated. Why? Because she's the point person. Mm. There's no man mentioned. Paul doesn't say, hey, you got to get married now. So you seem to have the situation where Lydia is apparently more than capable of organizing and leading a group. Are we taking some things for granted there? Yeah, but we're always doing yeah. that. We're always doing, like whenever we use the word pastor, we're taking some things for granted that episkopos means pastor or diaconos means pastor or something like that. Another quick example, Nympha in Colossians. Mm. Most people don't even know there is a person named Nympha and probably the people that know don't might not know that she's a woman. Mm. So you have this woman, Nympha and Paul says, exchange this letter with Nympha and her household. Um, I almost named that chapter on Nympha, the most important Christian you've never heard of (laughs) because she's the only evidence for a female house church leader, Mm. a single female house church leader, Lydia. We're not sure, but Nympha is almost a certainty. Mm. And so uh, Paul's investing this letter in the hands of this woman. She clearly is important, almost certainly householder. You put these pieces together from history, you start to see a picture where women are around doing important things. And this term episcopas is really important.
2: Mm. I'd love to ask a maybe tangential question, but it was one that um, maybe to my shame kind of struck me in reading your book in those early chapters when you were talking about the, the world of the first century of the the world that the early church was inhabiting. And, yeah. um, you point out, perhaps we assume when we talk about kind of the public and private domains or the, the ways those are sexualized, um, that we assume that women are in the house and are never doing anything outside the house and men are outside of the house and then are returning to the house, which becomes the women, the women's domain. I wonder if you could talk about maybe how you, um, kind of nuance that out in the way that, um, the way that history is read and the way that history um, seems to be embodied. And also talk about the way class complicates um, our understandings of like sex roles in the early, in the
3: world of the early church. Both of the things are really important to understanding the dynamics of how people related in the time. We're talking about the Roman world, which had, um, you know, just like any culture you have, what is kind of the stereotype And then you have the reality. And so the stereotype in the Roman world was the woman's domain is the home and the man's domain is the forum, domus and forum, home and public, you know, public square. And so that's kind of some of the images we have of society throughout history. When we look at the reality of what's going on, we know that women were in the marketplace selling things. We have images of that from art. We know about it practically We know about women who are involved in politics. There's this woman, Fulvia, who is out there working really hard to get her guy elected. And she's busy doing that in the same way we think of Deborah from the Old Testament as not stuck at home. She's clearly out and about doing important things like, you know, the head of the Supreme Court, that sort of thing. (laughs) So we have these women. You know, what we realize is women can transgress these boundaries, move across these boundaries for certain reasons. Mm-hmm. So one you mentioned is through social class Why A woman of a certain high level of status or class, like they had the senatorial class, they had equestrian class and other classes. So a woman of high class can do pretty much anything she wants. And there's nothing you can really do about it if you didn't like it. And so women of high society, wealth, They can be movers and shakers. They can operate kind of untouched in in many ways like today. And we know that the early Christians utilized this. Mm. Um, Paul talks about certain people strategically helping him. Priscilla and Aquila risked their necks for me. Maybe they were like using their status, using their connections to help him. Phoebe would be a great example. Phoebe from Cancria. Paul is sending her with his letter, this very important letter, to Rome. And we, you know, some people think she read the letter. Maybe some people think she's uh, uh, answering questions. Maybe what we do know is that she's invested essentially with Paul's power. She's his proxy Mm -hmm. because she's his messenger and she's going to be there for a while. She's the most natural person to do that. Our impression is for her to operate with that independence Mm -hmm. means that she's pretty high status. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we start looking at that, that tells us we can't just say, Men should do this. Women should do that. The picture is much more complex. Just the, the sheer fact that the pastoral epistles try to encourage production of family, unity of family. And then First Corinthians says, I'd rather everyone be single means there isn't really a one way for every single person or church. Um, that gets us away from what you're asking. but But that fits pretty well into the Roman world where they cared about class. But they also cared about efficiency. They want to get the thing done. And if women could do that, they were willing to overlook women stepping out of the house. And the early Christians capitalized on that.
2: Yeah, I loved that. And I thought I've, I, your articulation of that in your book helped expose some of the assumptions that I bring to the mm-hmm. biblical text. And I'd, I'd love to talk more about that. But first, we are going to hear a message from our sponsors who make this podcast possible.
1: CBE International presents Women in Scripture and Mission. Risking both her reputation and her very life, Mary courageously accepted God's plan to make her the teenage mother of Jesus. Throughout Mary's life, she proclaimed the deep truths of God, encouraged her son to begin his ministry, stood by him through the devastating crucifixion,
3: and became a rock of the early church. Learn more at RadioWomen.org.
1: All right. Getting back into the conversation, um, in telling and uh, reading, uh, tell her story. Couldn't help but be struck by the fact that um, women exercising authority in various yet concrete ways in the life of the early church creates a compelling reason for all of us to return to those prohibitive passages anew. And you, you do this. You do this uh, in the back of your book. And I really appreciate that sort of appendix to the telling of, of the stories of these women and their, their situations. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about um, how your vision of this dynamic um, between the women you're researching and writing about and the passages that have been used to minimize this reality uh, grew in the process of writing the book.
3: Yeah. You know, you know as a younger Christian... You know, whenever someone talked about women in ministry, ordained women, you know, my mind immediately went to First Timothy. Oh, no, that's not allowed. Mm. And that's kind of, you know, for many people, the trump card or the linchpin. Um, But as I've been working on various biblical commentaries and books and things, and as I mentioned, I noticed that women are there. It's hard to reconcile how much Paul supports and encourages women in prophesying and we have to remember prophesying is basically being a mouthpiece for God. And so if we're understanding what prophesying is, it's not a small thing. Many of our churches don't really think much about prophecy, at least the ones I've been in. But if you read first Corinthians, Paul says this is really, really important and women were doing this. They were functioning as mouthpieces of God. So how's that possible? How's a Phoebe possible, right? How is a Junia possible? And we can talk about Junia later, but I think there's pretty strong, perhaps even irrefutable evidence that Junia is a woman and an apostle. And whatever you think apostle means, uh, it's a big deal. Right. Like whatever you think a lead pastor is, apostle is a mm-hmm. cut above mm-hmm. that or more. So the question then is, how do you reconcile those two things? Yeah. Um, scholars are always making decisions about how things fit together, Right. And if you are a firm believer that women can't be pastors, then you have to downplay or denigrate some other part like Deborah. I actually start the book with Deborah, even though it's a book about the early church, (laughs) because I feel like Deborah answers 99.9% of the questions. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But how do you reconcile Deborah with women should be silent and Mm -hmm. be submissive? Um, So, you know, as I as I try to balance that, I thought, let's start with the stories of these women let's start with what these women are doing. They're out there doing stuff. And then let's see what happens when we try to make sense of these prohibition texts. It's not about throwing out one. It's about how we fit all the puzzle pieces together. Um, So for example, you know, to take a different topic, Mm. you know, if you read Deuteronomy, the Lord says to Israel on the, on the brink of them going to the promised land, show them no mercy, show the Canaanites, no mercy, kill them, slaughter them all. And Deuteronomy also says, don't intermarry with them. Now, why would it have to say the second thing if it already said the first thing, Mm. right? There's kind of some generalizations that are being given there. And then there's also the assumption that that's not going to happen. Mm. Um, Now, I'm not saying it's the exact same situation with women, but to say 1 Timothy 2 covers it all or 1 Corinthians 11 covers it all. We're going to have to ignore and downplay and reject quite a lot Mm -hmm. of the New Testament in order to do that Mm -hmm. to the detriment of our churches. Um, You know, I like to share with my students, I have a kind of so help me God approach (laughs) to these kind of controversial issues, meaning I don't know that I'm 100% right. Mm. But I would rather, based on how convinced I am, I'd rather go to the pearly gates and be wrong on this than for it to be the other way around Mm. and be wrong. Yeah. So there is kind of, you know, so so in terms of what I'm trying to accomplish here, you know, there are already some early reviews and it's just as I suspected, you got people loving it and then you got people saying, "Ah, eh, he doesn't say anything new. I don't know if we're going to say anything brand new. A lot of it is, a lot of my goal, and Blake kind of got into this, is really grounding the key texts in their yeah. context. Mm-hmm. And that was what I was trying to accomplish. And I think too... I have,
2: I mean, are we ever saying anything new um, um, about the God of ancient times who is past, present, and future? But also, I think the thing that your book does in so well in its brevity and accessibility, yet its depth, is it gives people like Aaron, who's sitting on a college campus, or ministers resources that are readily available for laypeople. And I think... Mm-hmm. Yeah. um. Sometimes, when we get caught in the kind of esco- the, the layers of scholarly life, we lose the ability to not lose the ability, but we forget the, the questions that lay people have um, and the way that we um, can either answer or explore them. And I, I was struck as you were talking about why you chose to tell the stories of these women um, as, um, as this too is the Word of God like these stories have mm-hmm. been mm-hmm. not all, are not just anecdotal evidence but are also in the pages of authoritative scripture um mm-hmm. and are often not treated as such um like just like you said under the kind of um, authority of first Timothy 2, which is also or holy scripture. and so how how do we put those together? and I think that that's an incredibly um,
3: intellectually honest way to explore that. And Jesus says, you know, about this woman that anointed him, her story will be told any time the gospel is told. And we did not do a good job with that, (laughs) right? We tell the story of, you know, Matthew and Peter and John, but we don't really tell that that woman's story. Um, Jesus is often in the business of... um, interrupting our assumptions about how the world should work, status, power, yeah. social economics. And the church, uh, the churches I've been in have done a pretty bad job of following Jesus in that. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know if you want to jump into kind of really heavy stuff here in the last <laughs> few minutes, but I keep coming back to the fact that those who prohibit women from being in ministry or being pastors or you know whatever um i can't help but but interpret that as viewing women as um incapable in mm-hmm. some way of leading a church or whatever and it, as i was writing this book what really struck me was if that were true god made some huge mistakes mm-hmm. in the bible and for example, placing Jesus in Mary's hands without Joseph around for the long haul, mm-hmm. or in putting Deborah up as one of the you know as you know the executive leader of Israel in one of its darkest moments, yeah. like if it if it is true that women are in some way you know incapable or less less than in terms of leadership, God made some pretty huge mistakes or huge risks mm-hmm. <laughs> throughout the Bible. I don't think that's the case but i came to that inevitable conclusion as i was wrapping up this book.
1: Yeah, thank you for sharing that. This is this has been a wonderful conversation and listeners um we want you to remember that uh this book comes out is it february 28th that it's i think it's march oh coming out out in march okay so we'll we'll make sure that that date is correct in the show notes um but be on the lookout tell her story from ivp and uh we're we're just so excited to have um so many people uh engage with your book is there any of the ways people can follow you or keep an eye on future projects we'd love to just give you a little time to sort of shout out about anything our listeners can know about you
3: Sure. Thanks. Um, I'm on, you know, Twitter and Facebook for as long as those things <laughs> right. exist, uh, which may not be very long, but hopefully by the time this airs, I'll uh, still be there. But um, I have a blog called Cruxola, uh, which is a Patheo's blog, and uh, I usually talk about kind of academic things there. Um, I have a magazine column with Fathom magazine, which is mm-hmm. wonderful, beautiful magazine, online, free And I have a column in that where I talk about scripture and formation. And I have a podcast that I co-host with Dr. AJ Swoboda Bushnell university, the podcast called slow theology, basically how to live an authentic, honest, difficult up and down, messy Christian life slowly Mm -hmm. and hopefully well uh, following Jesus. Um, Those are the best ways uh, to follow me. Also, I will say with this book, um, that keep your uh, eyes and ears out for a launch team. They're going to be doing a launch team where you get yes. some freebies. We have some secret but special goodies that we're going to offer for that. And I'll be doing regular blog posts called The Story Continues because I'm sure there'll be some reviews <laughs> <laughs> that I'll want to engage with when the book comes out. Yeah. And so I want this book to really start and generate a conversation that sees and hears the amazing women in Scripture. And inspires us to see and hear the amazing women that God has raised up since then, including my wife, who's a pastor.
1: Mm, Wonderful. Well, thank you for being our guest today. Thank you for writing the book and talking with us about it. Um, It's been a joy to have you on the podcast. Um, My pleasure. So listeners, thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you can hear weekly from our co-hosts and other themes as we develop content on gender theology for the gospel empowerment of men and women. And be sure to follow CBE International on Facebook and Twitter. You should also go to their website uh, cbeinternational.org for even more content. Subscribe to their blog, magazine, academic journal, watch videos and listen to audio of past conferences and events. And you should go visit their bookstore where you can find a ton of talented authors and subjects that will enrich your faith and equip you to use your God-given talents in leadership and service to the gospel for all, regardless of gender, ethnicity, or class. We would like to thank Landon, our support tech, and the team at CBE International that makes the podcast possible. I am Aaron Mones with my co-host Blake Dean, and we are Mutuality Matters. Thanks for listening.
0: Looking for more information about CBE and our mission for biblical equality? Then please visit cbeinternational.org for more information. And please be sure to tune in each week for new episodes here or wherever else you listen to podcasts.